Hi, welcome to Art of Academia, a weekly podcast featuring interviews with leading scientists and insider takes on life in academia, hosted by Komal and Madan, researchers from Cancer Science Institute, Singapore. I used to be a lot more reflective uh-huh. when I was writing my journal regularly. Like I, I, I kind of knew what was happening with life because I guess you're also spending every day when you go back and write, you think about it. And then that makes you more likely to remember. But since I stopped, and particularly, I don't know if, I, if you remember, I was telling you that I'm in a mode of like doing stuff for the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just nice because you get stuff done. But yeah. the downside is like, I feel a bit out of touch mm-hmm. with what's happening. That, yeah. Can you not do both? I guess I could. Yeah. I have been thinking about going back to journaling actually. Mm-hmm. How come that stopped? Just get caught busy? I think I started because I really, really felt like I needed to. I think I really need to. I should. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, for some reason it was just like really calling to me. I felt like I needed to write down my thoughts. I guess I was a bit overwhelmed also. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on at that time. This was, I think, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not, I think it was more the fact that I had the time. Yeah. Uh, but I started and it was very helpful. Like, mm-hmm. I think in the beginning... My top concern was, I was very, very upset by the fact, at least I thought, it was kind of true, that I wasn't being very productive at work, mm-hmm. right? And I was like trying really hard to, I guess, overcome that, um, but then also like not being able to in some ways, like you're not connected, that. Right? Not connected that. to the work, but yeah. at the same time, you don't want to like just give up, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly pushing yourself, but nothing's happening. Um, so I think that's when I was journaling mm-hmm. and it didn't help, it did help me a lot, but I think after a while... After doing it for a while, um, I just didn't have, I don't know, it just kind of faded away. I felt like I didn't need to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I quit. But maybe it would be nice to start again. But you were saying you wanted to, you were thinking of doing it? Yeah, I think about it once in a while. I even mm-hmm. got this one, uh, uh, a journal which has prompts. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was struggling with was every day you sit down and then you write mundane things. As yeah. a kid, actually, I used to journal. Oh, really? Uh, I think when I was in like 6th, 7th, 8th standards. Mm-hmm. And then once my mom found it, oh, shit. I think my brother found it. I think it's on him. He found it and then he shared it with my mom and it had like information about my crushes and stuff. Oh, no. And I was like, damn, you that guys. And end. after that, I just stopped oh, writing no. private things. Uh, but of course, now I'm independent. I can I can restart can all that. But I'm a little scarred. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I've got this journal which has prompts on every page. And like it's, it's quite nice. It's quite... Uh, uh, I think useful but I have not really used it as much mm. yeah but right now given I'm, I've been a little overwhelmed as well mm. have to make some decisions maybe journaling would make things uh, thoughts clearer yeah I think it, give it, a shot. it can definitely help um, what kind of prompts do you remember uh, things like the things that you want to do things you want to overcome it's quite gen- like uh, variable mm. so mm. different pages there's no connection like just different pages are like this is more of what I want to do or oh. like your dreams and what what are hindering these dreams? Oh, so this kind of thing. But it's not the same questions every day. No. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. But there's another one which is like five years one. So mm-hmm. that has three sixty five pages, three sixty five questions, and then you do that for one year constantly, and then the next year, same questions start coming up, mm-hmm. and then you do that for five years, and then you have this whole journal of same questions being answered like across five years, mm-hmm. and then if you want, you can like go back and see how that changed. Okay, interesting because Rachel gave me a book very similar. I don't, I, I haven't started obviously, but I haven't also think even looked at it, but I don't think it has questions, but the concept is like there are five lines. Um, each line represents one day of the year. 
uh, but the line below it is the same day next year. Oh. So you write on the top line uh-huh. and then you move to the next page for the next day. Uh-huh. And then I guess 365 pages once same you finish. Same what I just mentioned. Yeah, so you come back shorter. to page 1. Hmm. Um so I guess then you see Oh, I see. On I the see. same day, five years across. Right, right. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe the one I'm mentioning is also the same because I've not seen how it looks structurally. Uh, I've just read about this. Time. I see. Yeah. Yeah, cool stuff. I have some, somehow I have a physical, I have a repulsion towards physical journals. I don't oh, know. They just I don't, know. what the hell? They just don't like speak to me. Oh my goodness. To come right. I tell them. you, right, I'm still a pen paper gal. Like, yeah. I really like to. Yeah, I know, I know. People really romanticize about pen and paper. But I don't get it, man. I really don't I get it. Like it. I think, like Abhinav, for example, he is adamant about this. We've yeah. had very long conversations. Yeah. He insists that unless you write something down, you can't learn it. Mm. And and fair enough, I get some of the things about it. So I, I do. I think the only time I use pen and paper is when I'm like bra- brainstorming something. Mm-hmm. I really need that flexibility. I guess sometimes you want to draw random shit. Uh-huh. Then it's good. Yeah. Um. I think for me, apart from apart from science, even science and like logic, logistics and thinking and all, it is nice on paper, but especially feelings, needs paper. I mean, you're an artist, <laughs> so it makes sense. Maybe. I feel like that's a strong connection. But for me, like the you only time... You're a writer also. I don't have to write on, pay, on with pen and paper though. Yeah, I guess 99% of my writing is on the computer. <laughs> on the computer, yeah. And if anything, the only time I actually managed to successfully keep a journal was when I did it on Notion. And I'm pretty sure the fact that it was Notion okay, was the reason okay, okay. It, I kept it, kept doing it for so long. <laughs> I get it. For two years, Fair. actually. Hmm. I think I did it pretty much every day for two years. Mm-hmm. And for me, the nice thing was I can change the prompts, right? I can customize the prompts. Uh, if I want to change up the format, I can, like it's fully under my control. Hmm. I don't have to like stick to someone else's design of like, or oh, try this. Um, yeah. Pen and paper stuff, actually something... That I did this year mm. was also in the beginning of this year, mm. uh, where I would write uh, something like anything special or anything nice or anything good that has happened, and then add put it in a in a jar. Mm-hmm. And now we are coming to the year end, oh. and that jar is almost full. Oh, damn. I'm super excited to just like open up and like read those read things. Read about it. Okay, yeah, that's just, cool. Uh, capturing the entire year. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's that's nice. Like this is, I guess, a good example of how something being physical. Makes it nicer. Yeah, you could see that thing. Like it started with like one chair, two chairs, and yeah. now it has it has it's almost full. True. true. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just more excited about like digital stuff. Yeah. How did we get here? We just started with WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what has been happening? Life updates. We should do life yeah, updates. Yeah, yeah. Oh, victories! I now know that I can cook edible. <laughs> Wait, I thought you can all you could always but do. But I am just more confident now. No, okay. Yeah, like because given that my housemates are not here, yes. I've been cooking. Yes. Initially, I thought I won't even cook for myself. Like, mm. I'm just gonna cook for one single person. But I've been doing that. Okay. And like nice subsies. <laughs> I'm just proud of myself. I'm That's like, good to I'm know. Filling my plate, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I can run a family. Yeah. Will I say I can cook? I don't know. I, I think have not in your uh, pepper chicken thingy. Have you not? Never. Yeah, I guess you should come home. But yeah, I think my thing is like, I learned like five dishes, how to do them, and then I'm happy. <laughs> I never bother to learn more than that. And I just make those like five or six odd dishes yeah. again and again. Yeah, yeah I think I, I agree. Like to me, learning how to cook is definitely an important skill. Not so much for, so that you can be, I guess like many people would say, you need it so that you can live by yourself. Maybe true, but I think it's more nice because if you can cook, you can 
host people. I think that aspect is nice. Like cooking for other people basically. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so today we want to talk about scenes. So this was something we actually did an episode of. And then I guess we did it with the bad mic. But also um, it wasn't very well thought out. Mm-hmm. At that point it was just a bunch of thoughts in my head. Yeah. So we just thought we'll do a... A re- retake. That's good. That time feels so far away. It was far away. I didn't check the date, but right. it was many months yeah, ago. But yeah, okay. Mm. So, so what is a scene? Right? Let's start what with a, a definition. Okay, so wait, I should give a caveat before we dive in. So all of this um, is like a giant Twitter thread by Pisa, my, my go-to Twitter guy. Uh, so I'll link it to that and people can of course like read read up on it by themselves. I've just picked up bits and pieces that I found interesting sure. and I've added some stuff. And he's not the one who came up with this idea of a scene, uh, but he's clearly into it. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he has like fleshed it out quite nicely. Mm-hmm. So a scene is, this is my definition. Um, a scene is a group of people that have some common interests. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing, but... It, at, at like sufficiently overlapping interests um, who come together to exchange ideas, create stuff and like just do things, hmm. right? So pretty vague definition, but on purpose. Hmm. And and I guess the unpretentious version of a scene is just a community. Like it's a group of people, <laughs> right? Who are doing something, but it's a bit more focused on the activity hmm. as opposed to the group. Hmm. But we like pretentious words. Yeah. So we're going to use continue with scenes. Of course we are. Okay. Uh, so let, let's do some examples. So then it becomes clear what, what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, and throughout history, actually a lot of people are obsessed with this idea. They've looked at this and throughout history, there's so many great examples. So I actually kind of got lost on a rabbit hole uh-huh. into all of these, just reading about them because they're all so fascinating. Oh, let's, let's um, do some of them. Yeah, but let's do some. I want to start with um, this thing called the inklings. Inklings. Inklings, like ink, you know, that you write with. Mm-hmm. Links babies I think babies um, so this was like a group of writers uh, in Oxford so this is like a random pub okay so the pub is called the Eagle and Child pub and it looks very like unremarkable it's like a normal building and apparently if you look up the name of Eagle and Child pub there's like 25 others mm-hmm. other pubs with the same names um, such a weird name and 25 pubs with this name I don't know I don't know you you tell me what the UK yeah, is like I mean, but okay, okay. <laughs> so that but apparently very famous for one reason hmm. which is that it was the house of this Inklings group so these were a couple of writers who used to meet there every Tuesday morning um, for about like 20 years It's I think oh. a, a pe- like wow. the exact people changed a bit mm-hmm. but the thing lasted for like about a 20 years uh, and it had some very big names hmm. um, but before the names so I like this one sentence so patrons of the Eagle and Child uh, wrote three of the five best-selling fantasy series of all time oh. uh, within an eight-year period. So this includes Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and Chronicles of Narnia. Wow. So, yeah, so like if you look at all the books hmm. in the history of hmm. time, right, from the top five, three of them came from people who used to hang out in this pub. What, what were they doing? Like were they actually working or just hanging out discussing yeah. stuff? So, Very I, impressive. Yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. So the way they describe what they do... What they did was, um, so the members, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, uh, and and the others from the Inklings, mm. they used to meet at Oxford to read, discuss, mm. and critique each other's words, mm-hmm. like any club, I suppose. But what I found cool was 
so this is also this is from their own descriptions uh, there were no rules officers agendas or formal ele- formal elections uh, meetings were not all serious the inklings amused themselves by having competitions to see who could read the notoriously bad prose of some person for the longest without laughing <laughs> i was like what the hell they're just like trash talking some other writer's work yeah so i guess in some ways they're like hanging out yeah, but also fun. yeah but also with the intention of like helping each other mm-hmm. with their work it's it's like a mix between the it's two so nice. and and we'll come back to that uh, but i also like uh, highlighted this one thing this is uh, tolkien talking about how important this thing was to him mm-hmm. um he says what i owe to them is incalculable and only with their support and friendship did i ever struggle to the end so he says without them he wouldn't have ever written written the book um so that one was my favorite because obviously writing related story i was mm-hmm. very inspired um but there's like so many throughout mm-hmm. history i could literally um keep going but let's do another one yeah okay so the next one is oh okay uh, the, let's let's start here so the oppenheimer movie right i've mentioned this yeah. before <laughs> dude i'm serious <laughs> yeah. i i really feel like the reason people enjoyed it so much it's full of scenes right i think that's mm-hmm. that plays a big part and people kind of overlook that uh, but really like all throughout the movie it starts from the lecture halls you you have like random students who are interested coming in everyone's yeah. asking questions yeah. um you see it at the dinner parties like lot of like similar minded people but not exactly right you have you have professors you have party members yeah, yeah, yeah. um they're all talking to each other e- even the union meetings mm-hmm. um and i guess even within the the manhattan project itself once they've set up the whole thing mm-hmm. i'm i'm temp- i'm like i'm i'm a bit reluctant to call the whole manhattan project a scene and i'll get to that why but definitely within that like there are actual scenes in the movie where they show this you know uh, i'm thinking about the scene where there's one guy who wants to do the hydrogen bomb right but the others are like nah that's like a dumb idea don't do that so they all have like their own sort of mini thing going yeah, on yeah. but then they um like you know get feedback from mm-hmm, each other mm-hmm. and then like it's it's good criticism Absolutely. it's not like yeah. random shit yeah. so i guess those are like some some historical scenes uh, but let's get to some modern scenes oh let's go cool. Yeah so the one obvious and, and scenes also can be of different scales hmm. so a very big one that's still running today hmm. is silicon valley right this is the tech scene uh, everybody knows if you want to do some software development and you want to be taken seriously you go there because people are always talking to each other things are happening there are meetings you know all these famous companies they start out as like some kids hanging out in a garage maybe not kids but like some young adults <laughs> hanging out in a gar- in a uh-huh, garage uh-huh. right So that is like a very grand scale I guess the whole of Silicon Valley huge millions of people it's made billions of dollars um but I guess that nowadays with the internet there are also a lot of online communities mm-hmm. like online scenes um effective altruism mm-hmm. is one very popular also fairly big yeah quite global yeah. even we have read some books of theirs they're uh, they're also active in Singapore I've run, run into like a couple of people oh, yeah. who are very driven by EA agenda And, and they do stuff so this is like a very global happening scene another one is teapot have i mentioned teapot uh i don't remember this what is it so teapot stands for that part of twitter oh that's it yeah it's oh. the, that part of twitter that's teapot <laughs> teapot right yeah. and it's hard to describe them man like there are a bunch of weirdos and they all do like very different things hmm. I'm not exactly even sure what is the common ground between them. I think it's just the fact that 
they're all kind of weird <laughs> and they're all like doing some sort of like public facing work like it could be writing um it could be i guess some sort of consulting uh-huh. but they basically need people to know that they exist okay. i guess they they work they're weird in so many ways man right just start <laughs> so Because the way you're describing them, they seem okay. They seem alright. Normal, <laughs> regular jobs. <laughs> it's not regular jobs. No, it's not regular jobs. It's maybe they do have regular jobs, but okay. Let's let's start with the few teapot people I know. Mm. So Visa is a is a teapot person. Oh, okay. Right. Um. So his main job is consulting. Mm. Right. Which sounds normal, but when you really think about it, is it? I feel like consulting is such a weird job. What do you mean? There's so many consultants in the in the entire world. Okay. Different wait. businesses. Different. the fields okay i don't know how much you want to go into this but when you say consultant you're we're thinking like okay there's mckinsey or something that hires somebody yeah. and they're paying now they work with some company and yeah. they're paying right yeah. no these kind of consultants they're like they don't work for a company they're like freelancers uh-huh. and i think the people they advise i don't know about visa so much but this genre is like there is some guy who's like a high performing individual has a lot of money and he decides that he just wants to talk to someone and then they will pay you money because you're known to be someone who can like help <laughs> i can't <laughs> i can't put it into words we had a conversation before about venkatesh rao do you remember we did yes, yes yeah i was thinking of him so it's like and even this guy rick rubin oh rick rubin legend <laughs> legend yeah exactly he's not on teapot but he's exactly the kind of guy i would put in teapot mm-hmm. um Yeah so, but like, okay let's keep the consulting thing I'll give you a few more exam- examples um so there's another one called uh, Ayala she's like a I don't know if this is the politically correct term but she's basically like a sex worker or used to be a sex worker I don't know if she still does it mm-hmm. but she's someone who is just like fully embracing and into sex like mm-hmm. she just really enjoys it mm-hmm. um and then she like she charges for it mm-hmm. um and i guess she rose to fame i don't exactly know how i think there were a few documentaries that was happening i think she was on only fans or something but she just became like the sex worker person okay. on twitter okay and and then i guess she also started doing like some because she had a great following now like lots mm. of people were following her mm. she could do polls so she would ask questions like you know um what is your political orientation so you say left or right and then she would ask like are you into um i can't think of examples but are you into like are you a dom or a sub or something oh. like this oh. right and then thousands this of people data. yeah thousands of people are answering and then she would draw like correlations oh i remember some of this was it anya who sent it on the group was anya, it just the same person this is the same person I so see, anya yeah. had sent it was a very weird looking graph yeah so <laughs> she does a lot of this she gets a lot of pushback because i guess she's not fully trained in this so sometimes she makes some mistakes with the math and yeah. something yeah I mean, what do you what do you expect yeah but i mean this is normal right but i guess a lot of the hate is also because of her status as a sex worker so mm-hmm. some people will like refuse to accept whatever, whatever she's, she's doing just because she doesn't have mm-hmm. the formal training but on the flip okay. side she has a lot of supporters like mm-hmm. teapot is very supportive even okay. outside there are that's supporters nice. so yeah so that's one example someone doing very unconventional right. things right right um and there's so many others there's a lot of meditation people on teapot a mm-hmm. lot of psychedelic lovers on teapot i can see that um so it's really hard for me to like club them club them yeah and it's really really valuable yeah mm-hmm. but they are they're all like kind of friends and they all hang out yeah. they have these events it was a long <laughs> thing on teapot i won't go into others but there are other online communities like this mm-hmm. maybe i'll just mention this mm-hmm. um there is a there used to be a blog not used there is a blog called less wrong 
less wrong less wrong they refer to themselves as rationalists hmm. um so they are basically a group of people i think who mostly work on like ai research um and i guess like they have a couple of things but one of their favorite topics is like ai alignment research which is basically how do you make ai not deviate away from like human interests so if you build an ai how do you make sure that it's not going to like turn evil and you know oh, go against us something like that hmm. um so they're super into that hmm. a lot of people who were in that community so it's like a it was like a blogging it, it was a blog and you could like submit posts to them and then like different people would vet it like if you if if it resonated with a lot of it a lot of them you would kind of get upvoted um it was that kind of a community mm-hmm. and a lot of like today's sort of ai researchers came from that field Ooh. from from those people who were like blogging there early on mm-hmm. yeah so many examples mm-hmm. uh, but i won't go into all of them uh, but scenes don't necessarily have to be intellectual like mm-hmm. all the ones we've covered so far a sort of like um you know like science writing yeah. or like even creative domains yeah. but it doesn't have to be so there's a very good story of something called camp 4 um what's that yeah so this was a camp in yosemite is that how you say it in the usa say again uh yosemite no no never mind i think it's like a national park or something okay but basically there there is like a a giant wall of granite uh-huh. somewhere in the us uh-huh. and some campers just bumped into it and they're like oh i want to climb that <laughs> right uh and then so somebody they this was discovered in i guess in the 1930s um and by 1941 these climbers had like occupied a permanent campsite around that area um and they often they are like camping there illegally right because i guess not allowed to um and most of them are like camp- climbing bums which means that they were like young men with like no money lots of time uh so they would just like hang around basically and then like try to climb this thing uh, and what's cool is they apparently innovated like very very um like a lot of new uh techniques uh instruments even for climbing all came out of like this camp because they were like always trying new things like you know how, how else can i climb right um and apparently like this became uh, like a lot of the people who were in this era doing this climbing became some of the most well known uh climbers that's so impressive right uh and yeah so there there's this thing it says that over the next 60 years apparently it went on for 60 years Damn. uh this scene would invent most of the modern techniques of rock, uh, rock climbing wow. uh and many innovations that would later spill into outdoor skills and gear in general like even outside of climbing uh and I, maybe we can like flash a picture if you look at it right it looks like it's like a barren piece of land like you would not think anything special is happening there it's just like a few random tents like he, this is somebody writing about camp for uh and they mentioned that it's like a walk in camp mm-hmm. so you needed to haul everything you couldn't even like drive there mm-hmm. um so he's just saying that this basically already filtered out a lot of people who were like kind of wannabes mm-hmm. so only the people who really cared about climbing would like actually end up there mm-hmm. i i just have one more example uh-huh. and then i guess we we'll move on to the actual content because yeah. i wanted to include um a local one and oh. i i talked to you about this before uh, this is basically lindy hop you know it um Okay so how did this happen was a friend of mine invited to watch her perform at a dance thingy uh-huh. actually i don't remember where it was even but it was like some ran, uh, some studio um somewhere in singapore and i showed up with no expectations of what it is never heard of lindy hop yeah. some form of dance yeah 
but when I went there, I was like completely blown away. So it was like a, a fairly cozy place, but a lot of people. I want to say at least a hundred people. Um, and that, so that day it was basically a performance where my friend, friend was performing. Um, but after that, it was sort of like an open session where there was nothing structured. So, uh, so for a while, what happened was people would just randomly break into uh, groups and then just start dancing. So everybody is sort of standing around. Um, you know the the like around the walls and the middle is the dance arena uh-huh. and people would like randomly pair up there's music playing yeah. so randomly like somebody would walk up to you uh, ask you to dance and you just go with them and then you start dancing How fun. and and you know that these people are good because like the dance looks like yeah. they've been really yeah. practicing a lot they're know, not like I've never ever heard of Lindy Hop like, yeah I still don't know what that looks like yeah so okay. I think the style of the dance very nicely suits this setting it's supposed to be like very improv hmm. you don't really plan the steps you kind of make things up along mm-hmm. the way i don't know the history so i don't want to like talk too much about it but yeah. it seems like this was like a, a thing of black culture i, uh, I guess started in america yeah. but it got expo- uh, exported to singapore mm-hmm. and in fact the teacher there was a very passionate lady and i come back to her yeah uh, but she was mentioning that this was a happening scene in singapore and they've kept it going since then so I just thought that's that's great. So there's yeah. like this group of people who just hang out, you know, and they all like really care about it. You can see it. Um, and it's it's fairly, at least a lot of the people, um, it was fairly high skill. So it's it's not like you're just doing so-so, right? You have yeah. practiced, you've been yeah. doing it for a long time. Um, and the really lovely thing about that specific scene was they're super open to newcomers. So I mentioned me and a few others had also gone there for the first time. We, we went to watch the performance basically. Yeah. And none of us even knew all of this, all of this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we just thought we were going to watch okay. and then we leave. Yeah. Uh, but then they insisted that they would have like a, a, a practice session Social. where they, they would show us how to dance. Mm. So like she took us to the side, literally taught us how a few steps how to dance. Yeah. Um, which was very nice. Like I really enjoy. I, I hate dancing. Yeah, no, <laughs> Not no. my thing. But I really enjoyed the way it was done. Mm. I think mostly because of the environment. Like yeah. when you see them dancing, you yeah. want to join. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I did join. So whatever few steps they taught us, we could then go use on the arena and be part of it for, <laughs> for like a brief yeah. brief period. Yes, All right, so we talked about like a few examples and I covered some of these already, but I just want to like highlight what I think mm-hmm. makes a good scene. So what are like the elements of a, a good scene? Yeah. Um, so I just have a few bullet points. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, it should be overlapping interests, but they should also be diverse. Like you don't want everybody to have the exact same skill set. Like you should all have common interests, but it's nice if you also like have adjacent things that you can learn from each other off of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you also need like some level of mutual respect and appreciation. Like if you're like, if you're part of the group, you need to feel like you can learn something. Uh From the other person. Yeah. I think otherwise it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. The other thing is it's kind of, it, it, it's like exactly in between just hanging out, like, you know, just having fun um, and then like working on a project. Hardcore work. Yeah. Right? Like you have like very defined goals. It's neither of those things. It's not just hanging out. It's also not working on a project. It's really in the middle. Um, it feels like if it's, if it's too unplanned. Um, Nothing will get done. Yeah, you're just like fucking around yeah. and, and, and whatever. But at yeah. the same time, if it's like too defined also, maybe it's still productive. And then 
Yeah, but I don't want to call it a scene. Exactly. Hmm. Um, And I thought like an old concept we discussed in in Breaking Smart actually applies here. This was like rough consensus, maximal interestingness. Yes. So you have like a vague sense of where you are headed, Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't like define everything and like formalize it and like, okay, tick, 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 so many things to do. Then no longer a scene. That's a project. (laughs) Um, Then I guess the main thing is obviously that there is a, a rapid exchange of like ideas between people. So if you found something, you know, it could be just an idea. Maybe it's it's even like a new tool that you found um, or like a new way to do something, you know, mm-hmm. like a technique. Mm-hmm. Um, in a scene, if once you're like sufficiently aligned, uh, like you maybe by yourself, you can only like find out so many things, right? But when you have access to these other people who care about similar things and you're sharing this information, yeah, yeah. yeah that just feels like that's so nice. Yeah. Like you should, things are you should be able to do that. Yeah. So the next one I wrote down is is friendly competition. So basically people in, in within the scene are kind of like not one-upping each other, but like pushing each other yeah. to, to do better. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of like the nice version of peer pressure. <laughs> like the nicest version of peer that. pressure. Yeah. And then this one is like a good balance of being open to outsiders, uh, but also not being too open. Like, you don't want to let any random person in. I think you just still want to see that they are sufficiently mm-hmm. aligned, aligned with what's happening. Yeah. I think those those are, like, some stuff that makes a good scene. Um, okay, like, why why even care about this stuff, right? Like, why why even talk about scenes? Um, we kind of touched upon on this with the... What was that? The Inkling story, mm-hmm. where you you realize how, you know, with probably without the scene that those things wouldn't have been done. There are many, many cases where a lot of like big discoveries came out of a scene. Mm. Uh, so like you, if you see, right, there would, there would have been like either a lot of productive people or like a lot of great inventions that came out from like one specific place in a very narrow window of time. Mm. Mm. So that tells you like, okay, there was something happening there because yeah. probabilistically, what are the odds that happens? Right. right? So yeah, so I, I guess I have a quote uh, so one, one question that historians often ask is like, why are some periods and places so astonishingly more productive than the rest? And the answer is they, they had good scenes, right? Yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. Like, that's why you care about scenes, right? Yeah. Because they can be, um, they can like just elevate you to a level that you couldn't achieve by yourself. By- Possibly. Yeah, that's also very true for science, right? Like, 100%. Yeah, a lo- lot of these hubs that we have globally, they are these hubs because there are such people who are doing things for the fun of it and like the collaborations that they have or the mm. ideas that they are exchanging, the openness, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like a few of the criteria you mentioned, I think just fits there. Yeah. And yeah, that's how they're doing things. True, but you know what? I feel like, I don't know why, but the CSI feel like a scene. It doesn't feel like a scene to me because I don't know what, what the issue is. Like, this, this is kind of related to what I want to to but I think it's maybe because maybe it's a lack of like sufficiently being aligned because each lab is sort of doing its own independent thing so maybe now is a good time to bring the conference up hmm. so this week we attended Frontiers in Cancer Science which is a conference hosted by our department uh-huh. um, and it's a very big conference it's I guess the biggest in Asia oh, is uh, it? biggest a cancer conference cancer in Asia okay uh, but I at least I get very little out of it and I think the problem is it's too broad uh, but I guess like for a really big cancer conference it will have to be broad you can't if it is niche it is a smaller conference interesting mm. just that smaller group of people okay but of course eventually we get bored 
Yeah, so but I I do feel like that is the problem. Like maybe you shouldn't do broad conferences or if you do maybe I don't know how you do maybe you do like sessions. You know, sometimes they have things in parallel and people can choose what they go to. Mm. I don't know about the logistics of it, mm. but I feel like the problem with FCS mm. is also the problem with CSI. Like in some ways you are not all kind your interests are not like sufficiently aligned. You're like um, loosely in the same area, yeah. but it's not enough that it um, like en- like you know encourages you to like talk to other people Pension. help each other but i also think that it is it also depends on the levels that we are at mm. right now we have just done our phds we are doing our phds which is really focused on this particular question mm-hmm. we are only aware of these this this amount of publication and like research yeah. uh, in the entire cancer uh, field but our professors our pis they really have worked on so many different things and they have a better understanding of how these things can connect Mm. So even during conferences like as we saw different mm-hmm. people who are working on really different to- fields and topics yeah. asking questions and like which makes you think that they really understand this field and then they can make the connections that we are unable of right now mm. fair yeah but yeah. again like apart from that still i think um, csi is not as collaborative i guess like yeah so why why not why does uh, why is it not happening i don't know man but i feel like there is a lot we can do within mm. our own capacity yeah. to make to make it a bit like that so which is a good segue into my next topic mm-hmm. which is that scenes can erupt anywhere but you can't force it mm. okay so it's like two layer points but basically um the thing is it can start anywhere it can be at like some corner of a company uh, some neighborhood but or even like an entire region uh, but it's very hard to force it because like throughout history again there are examples of where people try to make a scene happen like yeah. every every city wants to have the next silicon valley yeah. in them yeah. but it's just so hard to do right mm. i don't know maybe it's sometimes it's just like quite nebulous about what makes it work maybe you need like the right people you to start it right off people. but i think that's the issue like when whenever these companies or i'm sure csi tries this right i'm sure when they have like these high level meetings yeah. they are talking about yeah, how to how get to... the teams to work with each other but i think that structure doesn't work mm. like you can't be on the top and then say okay go talk mm. and make things happen mm. i think it has to like start bottom up that's true yeah so i mean a good example is i need some experiment i needed some experiment advice but our lab doesn't have the expertise but your lab does right so the advice to me was like to come talk to people in your lab mm. and there was so much internal resistance i felt mm. just because there are like some invisible um barriers yeah. or like walls so which don't actually these people you, yeah which is not actually exist like mm-hmm. i could have i mean i did in the end come mm-hmm. talk to you mm-hmm. talk to your lab people but i could have done that way earlier there was no reason i had to wait like a whole week right yeah, yeah, yeah. um I, i guess so i can just imagine like if i i think of myself as someone who doesn't feel so inhibited by these things but i'm sure like the average uh, student in csi is probably like this is not an option for them yeah, yeah. unless like the pi you know really explicitly really like go talk to this yeah person. i think they would not i mean i don't want to speak fathers but mm. it seems like the general thing yeah, right yeah. so so yeah i guess in some ways it's up to us mm-hmm. uh, to i guess keep trying but at the same time i also don't know if 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 we can fully birth a scene like i feel like you can't force it you just keep trying and then if it happens it happens So for me what I want is like to be exposed to other people mm. uh, where we're like talking discussing ideas um the closest thing that comes to mind of what could qualify as a scene in CSI is I've heard rumors that there used to be this thing of um every friday evening 
um, I think this was Ed Chow who was hosting this, but he would basically, him and the couple of other PIs would just get some money to buy some beers for the students. And they would just have like a very informal session mm. where you could show up, uh, yeah. talk about things, discuss ideas, yeah. maybe even like do some presentations. Yeah. So that feels like a mm. scene to me, mm-hmm. but I think somehow that, that kind of stopped. They didn't keep it going. Mm. That being said, I do feel like we have one very good potential for a scene. It's mm-hmm. kind of, if is a scene, which is the journal club oh, where yeah. we do yeah. with How Jason. Yeah, forget Lab. about that, yes. Yeah, um, which is quite nice. So, like, I guess just to explain to people, mm-hmm. this is kind of different from the normal journal club because Jason doesn't join, which makes it quite informal. It, like, it just takes the edge off, hmm. right? Um, and the way we've been doing that is, like, we just pick kind of, we have freedom to pick whatever papers basically yeah. and sometimes if you don't want to do papers that's fine too uh, and I feel like that that's, that has been working quite well um, that people actually then pick things they care about mm. the discussion is is nice mm. um, and I yeah. feel like even this podcast uh, some of the like the interview with Anya Andy kind of branched off of that Absolutely. Right? Yeah. so I think it has potential mm-hmm. okay so to close off wait before closing off mm-hmm. I just have some stray notes Oh, there was a curious observation. It's, of course, it's not always true. But somebody made this observation that big crises, crises um, can generate scenes. So how, basically, hmm. World War II hmm. generated Manhattan Project. Hmm. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic, you know, created all these vaccine, vaccine scenes. Teams, I'm sure yeah. there, are, there, there were lots of examples. I didn't go through them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which kind of makes sense because when I guess there is like a huge crisis, mm. everybody's sort of goals, I mean priorities get aligned. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone's on this one thing, mm-hmm. um, then I guess you can just collaborate very easily. And then the other thing was I guess also scenes are also helped when there is external competition. Um, again, I'm just using the Oppenheimer example. A large part of what drove them to do that so quickly is that mm-hmm. the Germans might build the bomb first, yeah. right? So Even with a lot of these tech companies and IT stuff, exactly. there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of competition. Okay, and the last thing uh, was the importance of like a physical scene. I really like the idea of like physically having a scene. Like one pub you can go to where you're all meeting in person uh, as opposed to like talking on Discord or something. Uh-huh. Alright, so I guess I'll just finish by reading um, a, a like a segment from I'll share all the links for all of this later on. Uh, this is by Kevin Kelly. And he's talking about Camp 4, uh, the camping site where they were climbing. So he's basically saying what Camp 4 illustrated um, is that the best you can do whenever a scene pops up is to not kill it, right? Don't crush it. Then um, it starts rolling. Don't formalize it. When it's when it sparks, fan it. Um, but, you know, don't move it away. You know, keep the accountants, architects, the police, the do-gooders, all of them away from it. Uh, let it remain inefficient, wasteful, edgy, marginal, in the basement, downtown, in the suburbs, in the hotel ballroom. Basically on the fringe, right? Out back uh, in Camp 4. So I thought That's that was so pretty, pretty nice way to... That's so beautiful.